0: Well, welcome everybody to the Expert Insights podcast with RAND Europe. In these sessions, we discuss our latest research and we look more in depth at pressing policy issues. In this episode, we will be discussing a recently released study on truth decay in Europe. And this is very interesting as it looks at the role of facts and analysis in European public life and how that might be changing. So it is part of a greater research initiative at the RAND Corporation, which we, RAND Europe, is an affiliation of, I'm Kat McShane from RAND Europe, and on the program are two of the report authors, Axel DeVoe and Stein Hurens, as well as Jennifer Kavanaugh. So before we start, I think it would be really helpful if you could all briefly introduce yourselves and your roles, starting with you, Excel.
1: Hi, my name is Axel Leveau. I'm a research leader in social policies at RAND Europe, based in our Brussels office. My recent research has focused on democracy and how technologies influence how people uh, participate in education and society.
2: My name is uh, Stein Hohens. So I'm a researcher at RAND and I also lead Rand's office, uh, RAND Europe's office in Brussels. And over the past years at RAND, uh, my research has covered a number of areas, including Uh, the societal impacts of new media and technologies, and I've also done work on security and on crime and illicit markets.
3: Hi, I'm Jennifer Kavanaugh. I'm a senior political scientist based in Washington, DC, uh, and I am the director of the Countering Truth Decay Initiative, um, which is a portfolio of projects looking at the concept that we call Truth Decay, uh, which explores the role of facts and analysis in public life.
0: Thanks, everybody. Jennifer, I'll dive straight into it with you then. You've touched on the Truth Decay initiative lightly there. I think it would be really helpful to know sort of what the main trends of Truth Decay are, sort of what it is, and then perhaps why RAND decided to turn the spotlight on Europe. Well, it's a great question.
3: RAND defines Truth Decay as the diminishing role of facts, data, and analysis in public life. And in our definition, truth decay is characterized by four trends. The first is an increasing disagreement about facts and data. An example would be disagreement about the safety of vaccines. The second trend is a blurring of the line between opinion and fact. And the third trend goes along with that, an increasing relative volume and resulting influence of opinion over fact. Most people are familiar with these two trends. We see it when we turn on the television, when we look at social media. And the final trend is declining trust in formerly respected sources of factual information, including the government or the news media. The first research that we did on truth decay outlined these four trends in the U.S. context. And we described the ways in which the phenomenon of truth decay has worsened the last two decades, eroding civil discourse, causing political paralysis, and leading to public uncertainty and disengagement. And we also considered The drivers or causes of the phenomena. We looked at the role of cognitive bias, the role of changes in the information system, the nature of demands on the educational system and the role that plays in providing people resilience to disinformation. And we looked at polarization, political polarization, but also social and demographic polarization. And finally, the book laid out a research agenda to better understand truth decay and identify ways to counter it. A part of that agenda was thinking about how the phenomena might be the same or different internationally. As I said, we focused specifically on the U.S. context in the first book that we did on this topic. So the Truth Decay in Europe work was an attempt to explore the Truth Decay framework described in our first book in the European context to identify similarities and differences and then explore their implications for policymakers.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. That was really helpful to give us a bit of background. Given that background, Excel. If I can put this question to you, then next. So the big question is: Are these truth decay trends that Jennifer discussed? Are they evident in Europe? Can you tell us the main findings and um, what you found particularly interesting about them?
1: So first of all, what I found interesting in the in the study. So we found interesting is that while um, we were writing. The, the study TuesdayK was happening around us. Uh, and there were so many examples of what we were researching that were happening right in front of us. So that was the, the interesting part. Next to that a challenging part of the study, because the context was evolving every day and we tried to keep up with the research, but new relevant articles were published every day. So in short, it was a very interesting and relevant study, but also challenging to uh, undertake in, a, in an evolving context. Now, back to the original question. The the short answer is yes. We found evidence uh, for the four TuesdayK trends in Europe. First, we found evidence of an increasing disagreement about facts and data in Europe. What it means is that we now disagree on things that we should not disagree about. If I can give you an example to illustrate that, uh, if we take immigration, we used to disagree on whether to support immigration policies or not. We now argue about the scale of immigration and the number of migrants. The former shows a healthy functioning of democracy, where different opinions exist. The latter illustrates discussions about facts, hard data, for which there should not be room for discussion, really. We also found evidence of a blurring line between opinion and fact in Europe. One example is the factual news reporting that is increasingly mixed with commentary, interpretation, and even advertising. And it makes it very difficult for the readers and viewers to see what is fact and what is opinion. In addition to that, the volume of commentary and opinion is increasing more and faster than the volume of facts, which itself is rather stable. To summarize, we are overwhelmed with information And facts are more difficult to distinguish from opinion than ever before. So we don't know what to trust. And that actually leads us to the fourth trend that we observe in Europe, a declining trust in formally respected sources of information. This is true for the media. Trust in the media in Europe has been declining gradually over the last two decades. But what we found interesting is that trust in political institutions has increased since the financial crisis. And this contrasts with what Jennifer found in the US.
0: So it sounds like there is evidence of truth decay in Europe, but it's slightly different from how it looks in the States. And um, and it's not as pronounced or as deeply embedded. Stein, could you tell me, was the research sort of able to identify the reasons for these differences?
2: Yeah. So exactly, as as uh, Excel says, we find uh, evidence of truth decay, but we also observe that the speed and the magnitude of this of these trends uh, tend to be uh, higher and more pronounced in in the U.S. than than in Europe. In the book, Jennifer, as she just explains, together with her co-author Michael Rich, they identify a number of drivers for truth decay, and some of these drivers they are almost inherently universals such as you know like Jennifer said, cognitive processing and cognitive biases. now these are hardwired in, in the human brain or changes in the information system, you know although there are some regional differences, the internet and changes in the publishing model and social media uptake and so on, they have changed how information is shared uh, and processed at a, at a global scale. But there are some regional differences in those drivers as well. So I'll mention the competing demands in the education system. And we, we find that education systems in Europe tend to be more ready, so to say, uh, to address the challenges linked to truth decay. Okay? And therefore, the role of this driver uh, is not as prominent in Europe as it is in the United States. but. We conclude that the key in explaining the differences in truth decay between Europe and uh, the U.S. really lies in the speed and the extent of polarization.
0: Can you expand on that and sort of explain what polarization um, is? I think Jennifer mentioned that as well.
2: In our work, we describe pr- polarization as a process that describes an increasing division into uh, two or actually or more, sharply contrasting groups of people that share um, similar characteristics or beliefs or opinions. So um, it is this increasing sorting of uh, people into groups with similar characteristics uh, that could then become more insular in their in their thinking uh, and in um, their communication. And it is that process that could create uh, closed environments in which opinion or, or even false information uh, could proliferate. In other words, the chance of bumping into someone who has different beliefs or different opinions is much lower. And that uh, reduces the chance of having meaningful interactions that challenge your own beliefs or opinions. Polarization um, in the context of truth decay is particularly important because not only does it contribute uh, to an eroding role of facts and evidence in a public debate. But in turn, truth decay may also exacerbate uh, polarisation, which then, as you can imagine, could create uh, some kind of a vicious circle of, of truth decay. Now, in in the report, we we discussed different types of polarisation, um, socio-demographic, you know, along um, socio-demographic characteristics like income levels or education levels, uh, economic, ideological, political polarization, and for all of those, we do find uh, some evidence that this process is happening uh, in Europe, but that it is happening at a higher speed in the US than in Europe. You know, we find evidence for more insular thinking in, in parts of Europe in terms of Party politics, for instance, um, you know, we show that uh, Europe has seen a hollowing out of the political center and a rise of the parties at the extreme ends of the political center, uh, both left and right. And, and even some, you know, some niche areas like uh, on environment or animal rights. But the extent of disagreement on different political uh, themes is, is weaker than it is in, uh, in the United States there are various explanations of the, or potential explanations of that you can think of how media landscapes or systems are structured uh, or how electoral systems work you know with multi-party systems and direct representation and so on in in several european countries and those uh, aspects could have or may have mitigated these uh, these trends
0: so i'm interested to know then it sounds like the Effective polarization in many European countries is 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 less polarized, but I'm interested to know does does this still hold true for the trends during the pandemic? Because there's lots of things that have sort of come to the surface during the pandemic and issues that people have been have quite different opinions about.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and we see it around around us, right? We see very heavy and and almost hostile. Uh, conversations on on vaccines and on you know uh, face mask mandates and so on—they uh, definitely seem very polarised. You know, first of all, I think it's important to um, uh, to say that, of course, much of the research and the data we considered in our report uh, they stem from before the pandemic. So, to some extent, the jury is is still out on on this issue. But. Um, and secondly, what we need to bear in mind is that what we read in the news and, and what we see on social media is not necessarily representative for an entire uh, population. There are some studies that show that it's actually uh, relative small minorities of very active and uh, vocal individuals that often dominate online debate. So what might seem very visible and increasingly hostile tensions could actually just be you know, some tussle between marginal groups of people. You know a few hundred individuals. You know, I think you're right that what you and I have been observing during the pandemic could definitely be an increase of ideological or effective polarization on issues like vaccination or face masks, um, or you know, obeying other uh, government restrictions. And although much of this evidence is anecdotal, there's certainly some you know new empirical evidence supporting our observations. But it is possible that these trends of, for instance, pro-vax versus anti-vax, that they cut across traditional uh, strata, such as social demographics or or party politics, you know, the the traditional left-right scale or conservative versus liberal. So this would certainly be an area of further research.
0: Thanks, Stein. And if I can sort of follow this up now, because if I understand it, the evidence of truth decay is increasing. It's not as pronounced as in the States, but there is sort of an opportunity to perhaps um, sort of tackle the issue. Um, So were there any recommendations for policymakers to make in Europe? Could you give examples of of what people could do, Axel?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, in the report, we propose a number of pointers for policymakers. First, we find it important to ensure that people are equipped to counter truth decay. And to avoid uh, becoming agents of truth decay themselves. And we think that the way forward is to invest in media literacy skills so that people know how to react when they counter disinformation, uh, in particular in, on social media, for instance. The media are already playing a great role in countering truth decay, for instance, uh, in supporting fact-checking, but there is an even greater role for them to play. And we think that this should go with rethinking their business model to make them less dependent on advertising alone and on sensational content to optimize viewers, um, viewership and readership. There are also measures to be taken to elevate the political debate and to serve the quality of democracy in Europe. And this would involve strong commitment from not only the media, but also politicians and citizens. Social media often criticized for making Uh, profit on the back of the users, and the data they use, which is a goldmine for them, could also be used to support non-for-profit social research. The European institutions are already working hard and uh, they're working on ways to mitigate their contribution to some of the decay trends. What we propose would offer that without making unrealistic demands about completely changing their business model, they would contribute to countering decay.
0: Stein, you mentioned earlier about uh, further research being likely or possible. How do you think future research should examine this issue in Europe so we can get a sort of handle on that problem?
2: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. There's so many aspects to this phenomenon. Jennifer explained uh, a number of drivers, a number of trends and really to to be able to do something about it, you need to understand exactly how these mechanics work in in all the different contexts. And you know, we've investigated these phenomena uh, associated with truancy in in Europe, in in a similar fashion as uh, as Jennifer and Michael have done for for the US. But of course, <laughs> that is at best a little bit naive to look at Europe as a homogeneous entity. What our findings showed that. For each of the trends and drivers and consequences, there are considerable national and sometimes even regional differences. You've got different political and electoral systems, as I mentioned earlier. You've got different education systems and even more than 20 languages in which this truth decay could proliferate. So each country and each regional context in in Europe is unique, and so is the speed and the nature of truth decay across Europe. So, you know, I would almost argue that each European country or region deserves its own truth decay book. But there's, there's another good reason for for doing so, and that is that that's also how you fight truth decay. Axel just mentioned a couple of uh, potential interventions or, or instruments or policies to tackle truth decay. And although there are some initiatives at EU level, for instance, in you know, targeting or regulating uh, tech companies and social media. But... There is no Europe-wide silver bullet. truth decay should be tackled in the classroom, in news or editorial rooms, and also in in town halls or even in in the local pubs where these actual conversations and this discourse happens. So if we want to be serious about tackling truth decay in Europe, we need to design interventions tailored to the regional and national context. And that's where I see uh, most need for future research. And I know Excel is interested in in conducting further research into the role of people as agents of truth decay.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Actually, I would be interested to look at uh, what we as individuals can do to counter truth decay. This would start, for instance, with understanding uh, the extent to which people are aware that truth decay uh, exists, how it works, where it comes from, and what the consequences are. And this is what we're trying to do at Brand. People also need to be able to spot it when they experience it and know what to do. Small things like not sharing disinformation, selecting quality sources of information and keeping the public debate constructive and healthy can make a huge difference in democracy. We do not always need to rely on platforms or regulators to do the work uh, that we can sometimes do ourselves. And I would be interested to explore that.
0: Thanks, Axel. I find that sort of quite heartening. know, yeah, I, I can play my role too in, in helping to, to, to tackle truth decay instead of just being yeah, part yeah, of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's it from us today. That's all we've got time for. So um, a big thank you to our podcast participants for joining us on Expert Insights with RAND Europe. The study that we discussed today was truth decay in Europe exploring the role of facts and analysis in European public life. The study was funded internally at RAND. And if you're interested in finding out more about this research, please visit our website at www.randeurope.org. RAND Europe is a non-profit, non-partisan research organization that helps to improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis.